0: Let's go back to John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6 is where we're going to be. And uh, there's a lot of reading. Uh, I say a lot of reading. We're not going to do a lot of reading tonight. But there is a lot of reading in the, in the message or in the lesson for it. But I'm going to read maybe two or three verses and let you sit down and then we'll, we'll go through it, okay? Uh, uh, last week, we saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Are you with me? Say amen. 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 Trying to catch my breath and run back there. That's what happens when you forget your glasses, amen? Uh, we, we saw the miracle that, that is recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, uh, it is one of the major miracles of the Bible. Uh, the first three record certain things, but John is the only one that records the message that goes with the miracle. And that's what it's all about. If you'll remember, uh, we said there were many signs. There were many miracles that was done. But these are written, John wrote these, so that you would see behind every miracle, there's an even more important message, All right, Say that with me, behind every miracle, there's an even more important message, message. it goes with it, so that's what we're going to talk about, okay? John chapter 6 and verse number 1, we're going to read verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over to uh, verse 66, verse 66, okay? It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude... All right. Y'all are a little slow tonight, all right? Let's try that again. And a great multitude... Followed him. Followed him. Now, that sounds pretty good. If you were, if you were uh, at a church growth conference and, and you said that was happening at your place... That would sound great. That would be the person. That would be the person all the little churches would want to find out about. That, that everybody would call and see what's going on over there. What's your secret? Or uh, how are you doing this? How are you getting all these people? How are you getting all these people to follow you? Read the top. Read the top of your uh, your notes. What's the title of the message? Let's try that again. Things are not as they appear. things are not as they appear. Now, from the surface, this looks pretty good. From the surface, it looks like, hey, man, this is great. This this, this guy's got a crowd, a great multitude. Now, let's flip over, flip over to verse sixty six. And then I will pray. What does it say? What does it say in verse 2? And a great multitude followed him. A great multitude followed him. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and, and walked no more with him. Things are not as they appear. Things are not as they appear. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house and, and being able to come and read your word and study your word and hang out with your people. Lord, it's, it's one thing to have a sermon, to have a lesson, to have a message, to have a thought. Lord, but it's another thing to have your unction and your spirit and your divine touch to be able to deliver it. And that's one thing I'm in desperate need of tonight. I need your anointing. I need your presence. I need your spirit. Lord, I, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to hang out with your, your people and your children tonight. Lord, it's usually the cream of the crop on Wednesday night. It's the hungry ones. It's the seekers. It's those who know they need you and your word. And I pray that they will not leave disappointed. I pray that you'll help us. Help us to get the truth of your word in this chapter. And God, I pray your perfect will be done. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. Thank you for everything you've already done. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your peace and your mercy, your forgiveness and being long-suffering toward us. Thank you for everything you're going to do. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when you... When you study something out in great detail and you read it over and over and over and over again, and you meditate on it and you think about it, how God seems to take things and unveil them and uncover them. and you can read something on the surface and you can read uh, uh, something that, that maybe you've even read for years and years and years, or you heard, maybe maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Uh, you know there's, there's hardly anybody that has any kind of church background whatsoever that hasn't heard about the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, this, out of all the miracles, this is probably one of the most popular uh, because it's, it's, it's really cool. The little lad, he, he offers his lunch and, 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 and Jesus takes it and does what he does. And 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 most people know about that. Most people know about the miracle, but that's about all of the chapter that you ever hear about. It's usually about all the chapters that you hear preached about, you hear taught about. And... and and, and, and that's fine, I mean it's it's great to hear about the miracle and see the power of Jesus and and, and usually what you get from this is a teaching on, uh, on the ability of Jesus or the power of Jesus, the creative uh, uh, ability of the Lord and how Jesus can do the impossible. And so what we do with that, we take that and we go with this, whatever you have, whatever problem you have, whatever need you have, Jesus can meet your needs. Somebody say amen. And that's great. And that's great. And, and, and we talked about that last week. We talked about the atmosphere for a miracle. How, how usually a miracle always comes from either pain, a need, uh, a problem. That's where they arise. And, and, you know, and, and all of that's wonderful. But when you, take, when you take God's word. How many of y'all have ever played darts? Have you ever played darts? Okay, how many of y'all have ever seen a dart? I mean, I've seen a dart board. Amen? <laughs> Help me with this. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you have on a dart board? Tell me what you have on a dart board. You have a bullseye. You have a bullseye, and then you have outer circles, and, 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 and you, know, you, you can get points for just hitting the board, right? You can get points for hitting the board, and, 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 but, but there's no points like when you hit the bullseye. And see, you can take chapters out of the Bible, and you can apply them and use them. And, and, and for instance, for instance, uh, uh, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that verse? What are you reaping? Okay, people, I get that. But usually what is being sowed? Sin. Sin, because that's the—that's most of the time what's being preached or the application that goes with that. Listen, if you sow it, you're gonna. But do you know that verse has nothing to do with sin? I mean, you can apply it that way because you will reap what you sow when it comes to those things. You reap uh, 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 to the flesh, you're gonna, or sow to the flesh, you're gonna reap to the flesh, uh, and all that. But do you know that verse is talking about giving? That verse was talking about giving. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. The word mocked means bad mouth. In other words, nobody's going to be able to bad mouth God saying that I gave such and such. He says if you give to God, God's going to give back to you. Are y'all with me? You're going to sow what you reap. And it's all about giving. You know what you just did? You hit the bullseye. Now you can hit the board and say, hey, if you do this something stupid, you're going to reap something. Are y'all with me? But when you actually say and teach what he's trying to teach in that particular chapter, you hit the bullseye. Now, the bullseye in this chapter, and I'm going somewhere. I know it looks like I'm trying to, I I promise you. The bullseye in this chapter is not the fact that he could feed 5,000 people. That's what I'm trying to say. But that's what most preachers use, and that's what most teachers use when they teach. They just teach this, this miracle, and then they go to the next chapter. But that's not even what the chapter's about. That's not even the significance of the chapter. That's not even the purpose of what he is doing when he does what he does. And I wanna, that's what I want to talk about. in the beginning of this chapter, we find there's multitudes following him. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Up to 20, probably 20 to 25,000 people. 5,000 men. It it records men in that day, in in, in that culture, you did not count women, you counted men, which basically is counting families. So it said not counting women and children, there were 5,000 men. Are y'all with me? Now, how many of y'all know when you have men and you have women, there's going to be children? How many of y'all get that? So uh, approximately, some theologians believe there's up to 20,000 people here. This is the most popular point of Jesus' ministry. And pardon the the phrase, he's kind of like a rock star at this time in his status and his popularity. There's never been a person on the planet as popular as Jesus is at this particular point in time. Now that, that sounds like a great thing. And that sounds like a wonderful thing. That sounds like, man, look at the crowds. Look what his ministry is doing. Look at the crowds in his ministry. Look at the popularity of his ministry. Look how many people are following him. That sounds great. And if you stop right there, wow. But then if you keep reading, things happen. And you get to the end of the chapter Specifically, verse number 66. And it says, many leave. They turn back. And they walk with him. Come on. No more. No more. Now here's the thing. There's really two groups of people here. You have the Messiah. And, and by the way, by the way, they're all called disciples. Disciples. They're all called disciples. One of the things I see now: of this, just when you, whenever you hear the word disciple in the Bible, don't automatically assume that these are talking about believers and saved people, converted people, because we know the twelve disciples. We, we, okay, we. So we just think the word disciple itself. The word disciple just means student. Okay, say that with me. It means, it means student. It means learner. It means apprentice, if you will. Everybody, there, there was, rabbis had disciples. Uh, uh, different religious teachers had, had disciples, people that would follow them around and to hear what they had to say, to hear what their teachings were. So, so here we have Jesus the Messiah, we have the Savior, the Lord, and then you have two groups of people in this particular chapter. You have true disciples and you have false disciples. All right, say that with me. You have... And... And false disciples, two groups of people, but they're all here in one big, humongous crowd. And and here's the thing: this is one of the saddest things in ministry, especially for a pastor. Especially uh, if you've if you've if you've ever been in, in a pastor's role and, and, and been in that place. Uh, I, I've been in I've been in church my whole life. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't I don't know anything. I don't know anything but what what we're doing right now. This has been my life. This has been, it's always been my life. From the time I was born, I've been in church. I grew up in a pastor's home, and I've seen a lot of stuff. And one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life to to me, and it never had the impact on me till I began to pastor. And I begin to lead a congregation and I begin to pray over a congregation and I begin to uh, uh, hurt for a congregation and, and, and weep for sheep that were broken and, and care for those who were in, in a bad way. And, and all of this goes on is the fact that people will come and people will go. And people will come for a while and be all excited and and be, be jacked up and, and want to serve here and want to be involved in this and even get in the choir. Maybe they're in a leadership role, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. You think, what happened? And you have, you have situations where people will leave, get disgruntled, get mad, get angry, get whatever it might be, uh, get their feelings hurt. Uh, how many of y'all know church people are sensitive people? <clears throat> Now look, it's gonna be raw tonight. So y'all might well just get over it and let's deal with it. Amen. How many of y'all know church people are sensitive people? Carry their feelings on their shoulders so many times, and 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 so here we have we have all this stuff and say, so, well, what happened to so and so? Where where were they at? They were here. Look, well, you know they they're mad because so and so didn't go see so and so or this one. Uh, sat in their chair or whatever it might be. And what happens is many times you have a shepherd that's running around chasing goats instead of trying to feed sheep. So I don't know about all that. Okay. Look in your notes. Look in your notes. Look in your notes. And let me say this. I, I, I very rarely. I, I don't like. I don't like. I don't like trying to read verses or or apply verses that that cause doubt in someone's salvation. I won't ever have that type of ministry. I don't want to preach. You know, uh, uh, preach salvation so much that that it causes you to doubt your own salvation. I, I want to. I want to. I want to build on your faith. I want to strengthen your faith. I want to be able to teach in a way that you grow stronger in your faith. I know some preachers the way they preach every week, man. But before long, you, you doubt your own salvation. I was I was in a revival. I say I was in it. I, I was I was visiting with someone who had invited me to a revival, and there was about twenty five people there at the revival, and and, uh, and 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 it was just I guess their way of doing things. They would sing a couple songs, and then. Some would testify. They'd sing a few more songs, and some would testify and sing a few more songs. And I mean, everybody was testifying. I wouldn't have testified. I didn't want to be left out, you know. And I'm, I'm talking about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, crying, thanking God that God had saved them and delivered them. I mean, the whole church testified. The whole church. Not one person was out testifying. And, and the guy got up and preached on, you must be born again. And I'm thinking, well, where were you at the last forty-five minutes, amen? man? I mean, and I, I don't want to—I don't want to ever do something in such a way to cause truly saved people to doubt their salvation. But on the other hand, I don't want you to sit in a way where you're thinking you're saved and you ain't. I, I don't want you to take maybe an experience that you had that that—and uh, uh, it's—it's—it's it's a little. It's a little worse, and I hate to say it that way, but it's a little worse or or I seem to see it more prevalent in in places where kids grow up in church because you know they make professions when they're real little and and they're trusting in something that they prayed, but their life never changed and nothing ever happened. And how many of y'all know the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. One of, the, one, of the, one of the characteristics of being truly saved is there is a difference. There is a change in life, and, and so here we have churches all over America who maybe have they may have big crowds, and they may have a big following, but things are not always as they appear, and people, people are not always as they appear. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Let me let me show you what I mean. Look in your notes. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying there? He's not talking about about atheists and he's not talking about agnostics and he's not talking about people who are outside of the church realm or outside of religion or anything of that nature. He's talking about religious people. He's talking about church people. He's talking about people to say, Lord, Lord. But here's the thing. He, he in one statement he says, "Why call ye me Lord and not do the things that I say?" Right. There's going to be many that say, "Lord, Lord," they shall not, or not, excuse me, not everyone that saith unto me, "Lord, Lord," shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord," have we not prophesied in that name? We was preaching. And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful works. Watch what he's going to say. And then will I profess unto them, say it with me, I never knew you. you. Then depart from me, me, ye that work iniquity. So what's that all about, preacher? Matthew 13. Look at the next verse. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus is given a parable. He said, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which soweth seed or good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and gather them up? He said, Nay, lest they gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. What does that mean? It means everybody that goes to church is not part of the church. Their membership, their name may be on the roll, but they're a tares. You say, what is a tear? A tear is a weed. A tear is something that when it's growing up, it's coming up. It looks exactly like a wheat. It grows like the wheat. It appears to be wheat. But when it blooms and blossoms and matures, then it shows its true colors. That it has no substance. It has no substance. It's an empty weed. And what Jesus is saying is there's going to come a day when he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And in every church, I believe in every church in every congregation, there is a crowd. But they're not all what they seem to be. You say, who did this? The enemy does this. The enemy sows people. The enemy will put people in churches. The enemy will place people there. What? To cause division. To cause difficulty. To cause discord among the brothers. All these things take place. And I'm afraid some of this takes place because of some of the evangelistic methods of of a lot of places and a lot of churches. A lot of messages. And the way uh, uh, many speakers will deliver messages. And and if you read and you study this particular chapter, you'll find out that false disciples are attracted to certain things. One thing, they're attracted to crowds. Crowds. What began to happen? Jesus began to do some stuff. I mean, he starts healing people, not just, just, you know, giving somebody an aspirin for a headache. I'm talking about sure enough healing people, people crippled, people blind, people deaf, uh, people mute. He starts touching them and healing them and changing their life. Now, I don't know about you, but when stuff like that happens, word gets around Mark chapter 2 said it without any questions. In Mark chapter 1, he heals a certain people in that particular area. When he comes back in that area, Mark chapter 2, it says, when there was noise abroad that he was in the house, there were so many gathered together, you couldn't even get in the door. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so they're attracted to crowds. They're not only attracted to crowds, but they're very interested in the supernatural. That's why you hear a lot of these TV preachers talk about God's favor and God's blessing and miracles and the supernatural. And they're always using those words because people are desperate. Hurting people are desperate. Broke people are desperate. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. And even though it's a possibility that it could be fake, they're willing to take the risk because of the sensational. And the more sensational the bigger the crowd you're going to get. Jesus is healing all these people. <clears throat> and they're coming. They're coming by the droves, by the droves. And if you and if you take, remember what we said last week, take all four Gospels, read them all. Read, read this account in all four Gospels, and you'll find out this. He's trying to get away. He, he's trying to get away. John has been beheaded. His cousin John, John Baptist, has been beheaded. He's, he's out here. He's got his disciples with him. And here this big crowd comes. 20,000 plus people come. He's moved with compassion on them. And that's number one. If you're going to write your notes, write this down. We'll get into our notes. We'll get into our notes. We'll come back to those other verses. I want you to see number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want you to see a compassionate ministry. A compassionate ministry. Jesus, and and I'm going to just say it so we don't have to go to every single gospel Jesus sees he's, he's with his disciples he's resting with his disciples and here this crowd comes 20,000 plus people come and so Jesus sees them one verse says that he's moved with compassion on them Jesus sees this group of people as sheep having no shepherd and and so he gets up and he begins to move among them and he begins to teach them and he begins to heal them Everybody that's sick, everybody that's needy, he begins to heal them. And this goes on. This goes on for hours, most of the day. All day, this goes on. He's there healing. He's there teaching. He's there helping. He's there ministering. He's having mercy on these people. Now, here's here's the key to this deal. Even though he knows things are not what they seem to be. Even though he knows they have ulterior motives in what they're doing and why they're following, he is still merciful. He is still compassionate. He is still meeting the needs of the broken and meeting the needs of the, the, the hurting. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So we see a compassionate ministry. Time goes on. Time goes on. The day rocks on. Uh, uh, listen, time is, time is fleeting by. Now it's done got late. Now it's done got late. The disciples come unto them and say, uh, uh, Lord, uh, we have a problem. Uh, We got this huge crowd right here, and uh, and, and let's send them away so they can go find something to eat because there is nothing to eat out here. We Remember what we said many times when we run into a problem? First thing we try to do is avoid the problem or get rid of the problem. And so Jesus says, you feed them. They don't have to leave. What does Jesus do now? Here's the thing. Now this might be Malcolm's theology right here. So you know, this I'm just telling you what I think in this deal. This miracle is not necessarily for the benefit of the crowd. Jesus sees an opportunity to build the faith of his disciples. Now watch, watch, write this down. Number two, not only do we see a compassionate ministry, but we see a challenging, a challenging miracle. Look what it says. <clears throat> Look what it says in, 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 in John chapter 6 in verse number 5. John 6 verse 5. That's a whole lot of turning. Everybody at John 6 5? If you're there, say amen. Okay, John 6, 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now here's the key verse. Here's the key verse, verse 6. And this he said to prove him. To prove him. I mean, the word means to test him. Because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already had a plan. How many of y'all know when there comes a need, God's already got a plan? Amen. Say amen. That's great. That's awesome to know, especially if you ever get one, amen. But here's how this happened. Here's how this happened. If you put all four Gospels together, they come to Jesus and look, man, we've we got a problem. they has got a ton of people out here. We need to send them home. He said, they need not depart. He said, but they don't have nothing to eat. He said, well, you feed them. We don't have no food. And not only that, If we tried to take up an offering to feed all these people, we wouldn't even have enough even just to give them a little bit. And Jesus says, what do you have? Go see. Go see. So he he sends the disciples into the crowd to find out what resources is is available. And it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Out of 20,000 people, the only one that's got something is one little fellow. And so here they bring that to Jesus. Here they bring that to Jesus. Man, all we got, all we got is this little lad's lunch. So we got, we got uh, two fishes, and, and which was basically like a pickled sardine, and 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 and, and some cathead biscuits. Amen. <clears throat> what is that among so many? What is that among so many? So they 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 even not only do, is this what we have, but then they're, they're negative and critical about what they do have. So what are we going to do with this? And Jesus says, bring it to me. So Jesus, in his creative power, he begins to break it. And y'all know the story. I'm not going to to rehash the whole miracle. Y'all know what happened. All right? But here's the point. This miracle was an opportunity for, see, Jesus is, now think about this. How many of y'all know Jesus knows who the fake believers are? Who the fake followers are? The fake disciples. But he also knows who the true disciples are. So he's ministering to both people. He's ministering to both groups. Now what does he do? What does he do? Even to the fake ones, he's showing mercy. And he's showing compassion. He has compassion on the ones that he knows is going to turn their back and leave him anyways. But that's just our Jesus. Amen? But now he's ministering to the true disciples. And what does he, what kind of ministry does he have with the true disciples? He's given them a test. A test. He said he did this, he asked this question, he did this to prove them. Whose idea was it to feed everybody? Man, y'all are slow tonight. Whose idea was it to feed everybody? So whose idea was the miracle? Jesus. Jesus. All right? They get the benefit, but it wasn't about them. Now watch what I, when I, why I'm thinking this. He tells the disciples, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed them? Well, I don't know how we're going to feed them. Why are you asking me? All right? Where are we going to get it? Go see what they got. He says to the disciples, go find They come back, bring it to me. When he blesses it, he thanks the Lord for it. And he blesses it and breaks it. Who does he give it to? The disciples. They feed everybody. And they feed everybody to the point of being full. I'm talking about to the point they can't eat no more. They don't want no more. Can you imagine having the best fish fry ever? Now think about this. This is coming directly out of the hands of the Messiah. This is uncursed bread. This is untainted fish. These fish didn't have a mama. Say amen. I mean, this is coming straight from glory, straight from the hands of God. This is perfect meal. This is probably the best fish sandwich they've ever had. And they ate all they wanted to the point of being full. Now watch what he does. Now he tells those same disciples, gather everything. Gather everything. And what did they do? They gather. how many baskets? That was one basket for each disciple. What was that all about? It was an opportunity to build their faith. It was an opportunity. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody's got to get this. Nobody likes testing. I don't like testing. I don't like it when God tests my faith. I wish I I didn't have to go through that stuff. I wish I didn't have to go through trials. You know, I, I don't like it that, that Peter said that, you know, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you of those some strange thing is happening. I don't like the fact that, that uh, faith has to be tested to, to grow and to develop and build. But I, I, I'm glad what God does with it on the other end, amen? I don't like having the need, but I sure like seeing it met, amen? And if your faith cannot be tested, It cannot be trusted. And so he's testing their faith. He will give them truth. He will give them the word. Because by the way, he's teaching the whole time. And he's preaching the whole time. He's giving them the word. And this is significant. This is important that you get this. Because we missed this part. Most most teachers go right past this. And most preachers go right past it The whole time... He's ministering. He's given them the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And the significant thing about this whole chapter is the word. You're not going to become a disciple, a true disciple, by anything but by obedience and belief in the word of God. It's not about experience. It's not about miracles. It's not, and listen, uh, there's the, the, the charismatic movement in America has, has just taken this and gone crazy over this. You say, well, preacher, I experienced, it's not about your experience. It's about God's word. And I'm, I'm going to show you that here in just a second. But we see this great miracle, thousands of people fed. This is undeniable. There's no way it, this, is, this is so significant. All four gospels repeat it. 20,000 people see it. They experience this great thing. This is an awesome deal. And by the way, by the way, they even say, He's the man. They make a profession. Surely this is the prophet. Surely this is the prophet. After they got full, after they had an experience, Yep, he's him. I know you're thinking, what are you doing? Just follow me. Just stay with me. Because false disciples, they look like everybody else. During this, this church service, they all look the same. They all look like they were interested in the words of Christ. They all looked like all the rest of the disciples. And if you was to, if you was just to lay in there and you seen this big crowd, you'd think, man, what a church. Say, oh, that's got to be a Christian because he made a profession. They did too. Well, they showed up to church. They did too. They had an experience. They did too. Y'all with me? Look at number three. Look at number three. What was number one? We see a... Come on, everybody. We see a... Can everybody see that? How many of y'all are glad that Jesus is compassionate whether you're lost or saved? Whether you have a right right motivation or or motive or not, Jesus is still compassionate, merciful, caring, loving, and a blessing. Then we see a challenging miracle. He he, he takes an opportunity to challenge his disciples. What are we going to do? He shows them who he is and reveals his deity to them. He says, watch what we can do. Number three, not only do we have a compassionate ministry, a challenging miracle, but here's what it's all about there's a very convicting message there's a very convicting message look what happens they get full they get full <clears throat> and and they start talking among themselves how many of y'all have ever heard the phrase or terminology mob mentality when we was in Mexico City, <clears throat> when we was in Mexico City, uh, we were we were driving down the road in in, in this missionary's uh, car, and and I'll be honest with you, that that built my faith. Are y'all with me? <clears throat> uh, because I was terrified. I ain't gonna lie. I, I mean my I, I was as prayed up as I've ever been in my life riding in Mexico City in the back of that church van. I ain't gonna lie. I, you have never in your life, you have never listen. Red lights were suggestions. <clears throat> <laughs> there's no such thing as a stop it sign. Was, it was crazy. But one thing, and it was like no matter what neighborhood you went into, uh, there were places, especially in, in the real downtown part, uh, there, would be, there would be like blocks and blocks and blocks where there's soldiers standing in riot gear just all along. I'm just talking about all along standing uh, shoulder to shoulder, and it was almost like everywhere you went it was like that and i asked the missionary son said, so what is the deal he says man he said you don't understand with this many people i mean this this in this one city it's one of the, the largest cities in the world i mean there's millions and millions and millions of people in this little bitty area he says when you get a lot of people stirred up you got to be able to put it down quick and so these these people these soldiers are out there in riot gear all the time every day twenty Are y'all with me? Because they know the power of mob mentality. Well, what begin to happen is these people begin to talk amongst each other, and 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 as we know as we're reading through the chapter, we find out that there's really two motivational factors behind uh, their thinking and their in their their actions. One, this guy can fix all our problems. Two, this guy can feed us. Sorry. Now, now today we don't get that. Today we got we've usually got enough money in our pocket. Everybody can go to Dollar Men. You say amen. amen. I mean, you you can most people can find enough change in in your ashtray or in your seats of your truck or in your couch to go and find you something to eat. Are y'all with me? So getting food, we don't understand the significance of that. But when, when, in that day, you had to work real hard just to eat, just to make something to eat, find something to eat, get something to eat. When, 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 when God told Adam that he would work by the sweat of his brow, that he would eat by the sweat of his brow, uh, that, I mean, that was the, the real deal. And so if you could get something to eat without having to work for it, uh-oh, Y'all, y'all didn't even get that. Y'all did not even catch what I just threw at you right there. They figured out, watch this, watch this. What happens when you're sick and you get medicine? You feel better. So what is, he, what is he saying? He can make us feel and he can give us something to In other words, he can take away all our problems and he can make sure we have a full belly. So what happened? This started going around and it created a mob mentality. And this mob mentality said, hey, we got to get him. Because the Bible says, read it, read it, it's there. In this chapter, they said they were going to take him by force and make him a king. Make him a king. And, 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 And here's the thing. Here's the thing, to the disciples, that was probably, when I say disciples, I mean true disciples, that was probably, yeah, because probably Judas wanted to be the treasurer because he was a thief at heart, and the rest of the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest, so they're, they're ready to rule, man. They're ready to, hey, let's get Rome off our back, and that's what these people are thinking. Their whole mentality has nothing to do with spiritual issues has nothing to do with the word that Jesus had spoken unto them. What were they thinking? They were thinking physical. They were thinking temporal. They were thinking of earthly things. Hey, we can finally get Rome off of our back. We can finally have the rule and reign. We can be what we are supposed to be again. Our hero is here. He's going to, where'd he go? Jesus escaped from them. And he got away from them. He sent them away because he knew they would try to make him king and take him by force. They were thinking physical. They were thinking temporal. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So what does this got to do with church today? There are people that are coming to church every week. And their idea is not, they're not looking, they're not looking for a, they're not looking for a savior and lord They're not looking for a king as far as someone to submit to and to follow and to obey. They're looking for a provider. And they're looking for a healer. They're looking for somebody that can solve my problems. And they're not coming. They're not coming so that they can meet the one who can forgive their sins, who can take away their sin. It's not about that. I want heaven, but I don't want to let go of hell. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want nobody to tell me what to do. And see, we are living in a society. Paul foretold that it was going to happen. He said, in the last days, people shall heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me about holiness. Don't tell me about separation. Don't tell me about righteousness. Don't tell me about repentance. Don't tell me about judgment to come. Just tell me about God's prosperity and God's favor and God's blessing. I want to live whatever I want to do and act like I want to act, but I still won't. And that kind of ministry is, I mean, they are attracting the multitude. But you know what? When when you do that, you miss out on what it's all about. Because Jesus has this big... I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Watch my clock. Oh! Jesus sends his disciples out. Stay with me. Stay with me. Now you got to understand. You got to understand. He said, "Preacher, I, I read all four gospels, and there's a lot of stuff that happens between the feeding of the five thousand and the message it's given. That's true. If you read the other gospels, you'll find out that, that there's a storm. Uh, uh, Jesus or Peter walks on the water. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. But remember, John's only John is only recording these specific ones. So he's not recording every single thing that all the other gospels are recording. Are you understand that? Say amen." So let's, let's skip ahead with John, okay? He sends the disciples away. He goes up into the mountain by himself to pray. The disciples get out on the sea, and they are rowing. And it says about, uh, you know, uh, 30 furlongs, uh, uh, 10 furlongs is about a mile. So they're about three miles out, and it's bad. It's a storm. I mean, they've been rowing from, from the time it got dark. To the fourth watch of the night, we find out in one of the Gospels. Fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So all night long, they've been rowing. All night long, they've been in a storm. All night long, they've been fighting this thing. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing because when you read it, it says he would just as if he had walked right on past him. Like they're over here rowing and he's just... Now, you think I'm making this up? Read your Bible. It's really interesting. He's he's just walking as if he's going to go right by him. They look out and see him, and they think it's a ghost. And there's a superstition in that day that they believe before you died, you would see a spirit or a ghost, and they think, oh, we've had it. And Jesus says, hey, hey, fear not. It's me. It's me. Now, remember what, what we said about faith being tested Didn't, don't you remember they was in a storm before? But he was with them. Now guess what? They failed that test. You remember? Don't you care that we're going to die? We're going to perish. Peace be still. Calm the storm. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Now this time, he's not with them. What does that mean? Every test you take, when you pass one, you get a bigger one not real sure how encouraging that is, but... (laughs) Y'all with me? What was the big one? He wasn't with them this time. They're in a storm. But guess what? Isn't it cool? They're not freaking out this time until they see him. Now, first, Jesus was testing their fear. Now he's testing their superstition. He said, hey, it's me. At that point, Peter says, can I come out there? Y'all know the story. Yeah, come on. And he starts walking, everything. Y'all know he begins to sing. He looks at the wind and the waves, and he helped me. Jesus helps him. As soon as Jesus, now watch this, as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, they're immediately where they were going. Immediately. Cool, cool story. So the next day, people come looking for Jesus, the one that fed them. Where, where'd he go? Well, I heard he's, well, let's go find him. And so they go over. Some take ships, some come from other places, and they all find, they find him and say, how'd you get here? Because they knew the disciples left without him. Now watch, here's the message. This is where we're getting it. Now see, you remember, you remember, remember. It's not about the miracle. It's about the message. message. The word sign means there's a message in the miracle. Jesus did the miracle so he could deliver the Now here's the message. Here's the message. Watch this. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily. You remember what I said about when he goes to using those words? It's fixing to get real. It's getting serious. In the beginning, he's feeding them and he's he's comforting them and he's healing them and he's blessing them. But now, now it's time to get real. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles. Because if we go back to verse 2, let's go back to verse 2 for a minute. Initially, the crowd was so big and so large because of the miracles. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Now, let's go back to verse 26. And Jesus answered him and said, verily, verily, I say, and by the way, here's the deal. While he's healing and performing the miracles, what's he doing? He's teaching. He's given them the word in other words he's meeting their physical needs while trying to meet their man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that preceded out in other words you have you have two needs you have a physical need and you have a spiritual need and Jesus is trying Jesus is trying don't think that don't think that he didn't try don't think that, that, that he wasn't made. he just okay all he did was feed them because he knew they wasn't going to believe anyway. no 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 that's not the way that works. He was while he was meeting their physical, he was trying to meet their spiritual but watch watch what he watch what he did. He said, verily I say unto you ye seek me not because you saw the miracles even though that's what it was in the beginning. that's what it was that's why you came out in the beginning but because ye did eat of the loaves and were? In other words, you just want a free meal. You're not here because of the truth I gave you. You're not here because of the doctrine I taught you. You're not here because of the word I offered you and the significance of the message. You're here because you want a full belly. You're here because of the physical and not the spiritual. Here's what I put in that convicting message. Here's what I put in that convicting message. Write this down. Write this down. There was a confrontation of motivation. There was a confrontation of motivation. In other words, Jesus, in his message, he confronted their motivation. He confronted their heart, if you will. He peeled back their heart. You see... I can't know your motivation for being here tonight. Listen, you can't look at your neighbor and know what their motivation is be to be here tonight. But guess what? Let me read a verse. Let me read a verse. Look what it says. <clears throat> Hebrews 4. Look in your notes right there. Hebrews four twelve. For the. Word. Come on. For the. Word. What, what, what's he giving them right here? What's he giving them? He's speaking the word. The word. Watch this. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Word quick means alive. It's alive. It's like the quick of your fingernail. When you cut down into the quick, whoo! Why? It's alive. It's living. It's feeling. It's nerves there. Are y'all with me? It's quick. It's alive. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner. Watch here. Is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. I can come up here and I can open God's word and preach the word he has given to me and it'll go out like a scalpel. It'll go out like a sword and it'll go to cutting and unveiling and peeling back the layers and it'll show you what you really are. And it'll show you your true motivation. And it will reveal to you things that sometimes you don't want to know. And here they are looking like true followers. Here they are looking like true disciples. Here they are standing in church. We're here at church. We're here. And Jesus says, I know why you're here. You're not here because you care about spiritual things. You're not here because you want to know the truth. You're not here to have your sins forgiven. You're not here to find the true Messiah. You're here because you want your physical needs to be met. You want a full belly. You want your problems solved. But you don't care about me. Boy, there's something about preaching. If we'll all be honest, there's been times we've been sitting in that pew and we thought, who told him? There's been times I've been doing the preaching I wondered who told him. Amen. (laughs) Like, oh me. It's not always amen when we go to church, is it? Sometimes it's oh me. And this message is convicting because he really showed them what their true motivation is. I wonder why. Why are you here? What's your motivation? Is it, a, is it a form of entertainment? Is it because you're supposed to? Well, you're not supposed to go to church. Well, guys, I want you to know God's not up in heaven checking your attendance record. Your attendance record is not going to get you in or out. What's your motivation? This message cut them to the core. Because he said, You're not here, you're not here, but for selfish reasons. You're not here for any other reason but for the temporal, the selfish, the physical. Listen, he confronted their motivation. Then, then, B, write this down. <clears throat> Listen, it was a convicting message because there was a confrontation of motivation. But then, B, there was a challenge of, of a myth something that they thought he begins to tell them look what he says labor not for the meat which perisheth in other words you're here for the bread you're here for another meal don't don't listen don't focus on the physical he says labor not for the meat which perisheth but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the son of man shall give unto you for whom hath for him hath God the father sealed then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You know what they were basically saying? What do we got to do to earn it? What do we got to do to earn it? How do we work to get this thing, man? Because see, their former religion... Their former teaching. You got to do. How many of y'all know that, that, that faith is, it's done? But do you realize there's, there's only two kinds of religion in the world? There's only two kinds of religion in the world. Uh, Abel represents one and Cain represents the other. Only two kinds of religions in the world. Oh, no, there's all kinds of religions. No, 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 there's only two kinds. One is works. One is Grace. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says it's done. Every other religion in the world says you have to do. It's basically work. you got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And that's what they're saying. What do we got to do? What works do we have to accomplish? What do we have to, and Jesus is confronting that myth. He says, you don't understand. It's not about what you do. It's the grace of God. It's a gift from God. You know what? As amazing as that is, there's a lot of people who don't want to hear that. There's a lot of people don't want to hear the fact that just come to him as you are. They want to do something. They want to, listen, it's not of works. For by grace are you saved through that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nobody going to be able to stand in glory and say, look what I did to get me here. God will share his home. God will share his son. God will share his love. God will share his provision. God will share everything but his glory. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He confronts their myths. And listen, it's not about, you don't understand, it's not about this. What else in this message do we find? There's a confrontation of motivation. There's a challenge of a myth. Work salvation is not about works. Look at this. Look at this. This this is so intriguing to me. How many of y'all know? How many of y'all know when people get under conviction? When people are confronted with what's really there in their heart, they they get they, they get uh, a little agitated, and instead of instead of accepting the message. They attack the messenger. Watch watch this. Is that right? All right. Just a few minutes. Just a few minutes over time. All right. Watch this. How many of y'all believe that the feeding of the 5,000 was significant? Let me change that word. How many of y'all believe the feeding of the 5,000 was huge? Right. Yeah. How many of y'all believe that they all saw it? Yeah. They were all witness to the fact that one little lad's lunch fed all these thousands of people. Right? right. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus Jesus starts that sword, that sharp two-edged sword. He begins to take his word. and He begins to reveal who they really are. He reveals their motivation. He reveals what's behind. Watch this. Watch how they act. When he he took away their myth, watch what they say in verse 30. They said, okay, if you're that one, if you're who you say you are, therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Y'all get it? All right, prove it. All right, that souped-up buffet yesterday ain't enough? Man, we need some more time. Let me say this, and, and I got to close because they get mad about the children having to Velcro them to the wall and all and everything. Here, here's something I want you I want you to get. We're going to come back to this next week, so just just keep coming. Uh, I want you to look at me for just a second. Everybody, just put your pen. Look at me for just a second, because I, I got to give you this. I got to give you this. These people experienced one of the biggest miracles. When I say biggest, I mean of all the people. And some say the biggest would be the you know bringing back Lazarus from the dead. That's like huge, you know, but. This is an actual creative miracle. He's creating stuff out of thin air. 20,000 people. So they were witness to the, of magnitude, probably the biggest of them all. Yet when Jesus got real with them, and his word began to pierce their true intentions and their motivations, they said, okay, how are you going to prove it? Show us, show us, you know, we, we need a sign. What, what was yesterday about? You know what this proves? Here's the truth, guys. No matter how much truth you show someone, they'll never see it till they're looking for it. Some of you you have tried to convince a friend or convince a loved one. Preacher, why won't they just... No matter how much truth you give someone, if they're not looking for it, they'll never get it. What's the point? These people were not looking for a Messiah. They were not looking for a Savior. They were not looking for someone... To redeem them, they were just looking for someone to fix them. Does this make sense? Matter of fact, it even gets worse. I got to tell you this, too. (laughs) You remember right after, you remember right after he fed them and they were full? What was their profession of faith? What did they say? This is him. Surely this is that prophet they're quoting Deuteronomy. This is that prophet. Now that he's getting in their grill, and he's really getting down to the truth of who they are and what they are, and their motivation, and then he reveals himself to them, I am the bread of life. He says, I'm trying to tell you, what you're needing is me. You know what they say? Who's this dude? Isn't this this Joseph's son? Isn't he a carpenter? what happened to that? Surely this is the prophet. What's the point, preacher? People can stand beside you and profess whatever they want. But that doesn't make them a true disciple. Are y'all with me? Amen. Things are not always as they To be continued. Next week, we'll jump right back here in the same spot. So bring your notes back. How many of y'all are going to try to remember to bring your notes back? All right. All right. Let's pray and pray for more time. Lord, thank you.